0: well welcome back to our study on thessalonians a new view and as we come into today's uh uh, lesson we start the second letter uh, that paul has written to the thessalonians and this is an important letter it's kind of written for uh, several different reasons the first reason is it's written uh and it's written a few months later so uh probably not more than a year after the first letter this letter has gone out and it has several purposes uh, behind the letter, the first obviously is an encouraging. Uh, it's meant to encourage them. They're facing some horrific persecution. It's it's only gotten worse since they began. And, and I want to remind you, right? Who, who's persecuting the the Thessalonians? Well, it's their it's their uh, their neighbors, uh, some of their former friends, some of their their family members, and they're being persecuted because uh, they are breaking away from the norm of uh, worshipping these gods that uh, the roman gods that the uh, the community normally worships and and they're worshipping quote foreign gods or some other god and so this is the reason that they're uh, largely being persecuted because of of this uh, difference and, and in fact we're going to see in today's uh, text a little bit of this the, uh, the 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 truth is that there's probably uh, some hardship happening in the region. We have reason to believe there was a, a kind of a, a drought situation or famine. So there was a little bit of food scarcity. There was a little bit of challenge that was beyond the normal happening across the region uh, in this period of time. And and because of that, it's easy to imagine at least the uh, the residents are, are wondering, well, who's angered the gods that, that they're making this bad thing happen to us? Well, the Christians become an easy target. Uh, it's your fault that this bad thing is happening, and in fact, this is something that that uh, will be seized upon later on by the Roman leaders. Uh, they'll blame the Christians for every bad thing that's happened, and so this is a part of the persecution that they're facing. And so Paul is writing this this first letter or the second second letter as a as an encouragement to them while they're being persecuted to, to hang in there. That's that's one of the reasons for the letter. A second reason is they had had questions, right? They had had questions about what's going to happen when we die and what happens at the end of time, and Paul started to address some of those in his other uh, letter, in the first letter. He'll address those in more detail in this letter. And then there's this third piece that's that's also at play here, and that is that, that uh, Paul is writing to them, uh, not just in the midst of their persecution or not just to answer their questions, but to deal with the individuals that are kind of just, well, they're kind of being uh, lazy, uh, slothful. They are they're, they have been, they've embraced that Christ is returning and they're kind of checking out of society and wanting to just coast until Jesus comes back and, and uh, bask in that. They're, they're very much believing in the life to come, but to the exclusion of the life that is. And this is a problem for, for many reasons. And and not the least of which is that uh, Paul's going to be building the case that uh, they have work to do. It's not work that earns their salvation, but it's it's uh, it's what Jesus said when he was just a little boy. I have to be about my, be about my father's business, and uh, that's kind of where Paul's going to come to them. It's look, you do have work to do. You need to be about our father's business. Now, as we as we've looked at this this uh, this letter, and as we get ready to go into this, we understand this context of of challenges that are going on uh there is another challenge i want to make you aware of because it's a it's a kind of a a, a nasty trick if you will And it's the last reason that paul writes this letter uh is that there are th- there are false letters that are beginning to be written uh, misinformation has always been our adversary the devil's tool he, he loves to give us half of the information or more uh or to manipulate or to misinform us about things. Uh, he's a liar and a deceiver, and uh, this is very frequently how he works. And so Satan was, was watching I'm, I'm with, with all kinds of curiosity what God was doing with this brand new church uh, and trying to understand what God's plan was for the church and to see then, of course, how he could <clears throat> try to thwart the good thing that God was doing and as the letters began to be circulated it was clear the letters which now we have which we have incorporated and we call those the new testament when we read these uh, satan wants to try to pollute that in some way and so he begins to to inspire and encourage men and women to write false narratives and false reports and and we see these coming from a number of different areas whether from the gnostics or from from others who, for other reasons, put out a false gospel or a false narrative. And we see this happen uh, across the first century. This is one of the reasons that when it comes to understanding the canon and the, the books and the, the things that got included in the New Testament, uh, it's important for us to understand that, that uh, they were put under great scrutiny to make sure none of these false letters or false reports made it in and uh, they were excluded from the group. And this is what happens with a lot of the things you see today. People will talk about, well, we found this lost gospel of Thomas or we found this lost gospel of Judas. Well, a lot of those lost gospels might've been lost for a reason. Uh, they were uh, extra biblical. They were not even uh, true or they were they were um, a manipulation of the truth. And uh, those are the kinds of false letters <clears throat> that are circulating here in Thessalonica there there seems to have been a false letter uh, that was circulated that said and suggested that Jesus had already come back and that they had all missed it and um and and that they you know basically it was to cause them to kind of give up on what they were doing and uh, we don't know for sure who wrote that letter we don't know for sure where it came from it's not hard to imagine uh that it could have come from a number of sources but the uh uh, the reality is that Paul has to combat now false teaching, and uh, that is also at display in this uh, in this narrative. Now, as we start in, I know we've had a long build up here to the start of 2 Second Thessalonians chapter one, but as we as we start in, I want to re- remind you of of a view that Paul has been giving to them, because when they came to faith, many of them found themselves under persecution from their family from their neighbors from their friends former friends uh, and all things that are happening but paul has tried to help them to see themselves as part of a new community uh, of the faithful and he really is encouraging these christians to take care of each other uh, in the absence of the family to take care of, of, of each other and and that the networks of friendship that had formerly existed well, this new community has to figure out how to thrive together. And uh, this is where the church does so well. That's why the Bible constantly reinforces this theme uh, that if the church is to be truly counter-cultural, and that is to, not that we're trying to destroy culture, but we're trying to honor God. And when culture doesn't do that, uh, the church often finds itself in this very situation the Thessalonians did. And in that world and in that space, they have to be able to uh, encourage one another, lift one another up in prayer, uh, provide for one another as is necessary, and so uh, Paul is trying to help them see that the church has become a, a a family of sorts. It has become a place, a community where they they are loved, they are safe, and where they take care of each other. And uh, this is what the church has to be today. Uh, we we have to be a church that does this, that that really uh, invests in people. There. There are a lot of moral issues that the church is very concerned about in the world, but but we will never be able to uh, help someone leave a, an addicted life or a life of, of immorality uh, if, if all that the person gets is our judgment and, and and they get a judginess from Christians, but they never get support or love or friendship or encouragement or all the other things that have to happen because to leave... A lifestyle that you've had for a long time and to lose those people sometimes that you've been befriended and been a part of is hard. And uh, it's not easy. And especially so if they're living a life that's outside of what God wants and you're trying to live a life that's inside what God wants, this is a hard transition. And so the church has to be a place where people that are making that move from the world to faith. Uh, find that they are supported and encouraged and loved and encouraged uh, Supported in their faith uh, Not in wickedness, but supported in their faith. Well So Paul will re- revisit this theme uh, where he's speaking very much to uh, To brothers and to sisters and to children as he calls them uh, And he sounds like a parent and in fact I think that you'll pick up on his ire and his frustration here Because just like any parent who sees their children being picked on, uh, you're going to get bristled up and you're going to be kind of frustrated by what you see. And I think that that's on display here in this letter. Well, here we go. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, we know that the three of them are are together as this letter is written. They're in Corinth when this letter is written. Uh, And like I said earlier, it's probably not been more than a year since the last letter, but the um, persecution has intensified. Now he writes this to the church of the thessalonians in god our father and the lord jesus christ and it's important paul begins to delineate churches uh, in two ways one is geographic and the other is by whose house that they meet in Uh, and so he'll look at churches in those kinds of understandings and lenses and interestingly enough this is the same thing that jesus does through john in the book of revelation he looks at churches Uh, geographically, the church that's in uh, Philadelphia or in Thyatira or wherever it is that the church might be. This is who he he looks at. So he looks at these places geographically, but understand that in that geography, uh, there were many gathering spaces for the church, not usually just one single space. Uh, So Paul's addressing the church geographically here to the Thessalonians who are in God. Now, he comes back to an important theme, and this is always important, and we're not going to belabor it. We've talked about it, but grace and peace, those are two words that that mean a lot to Paul. And he uses them as kind of um, uh, the, the, what he sees as the epitome of the things that are the, the most valuable gifts that, that, that Jesus gives to the Christian uh, after we're saved, is that you know, we have the ongoing knowledge of grace that we're forgiven And we have a kind of peace that only Jesus can bring in our lives. Now for Paul, who battled a thorn in the flesh, who suffered many things, we have to understand that that peace does not always mean life is easy. Uh, It's not a peace that says, hey, you you live at peace because your life is free from any kind of, of challenges or struggles. No, it's a peace that exists in the midst of those. A peace that says, I know who's with me. I know who's watching over me, and uh, I know that God's plan for me in the end is better than whatever this momentary circumstance is. So he picks back up on the theme grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the second time that he's made this statement about Jesus as the Lord, he is the Messiah, the promised one. Um, something that has more power in the Jerusalem church, where they've been long awaiting the Messiah. Uh, and uh, uh, This idea of lordship and messiahship plays very important in Hebrew history here in the Gentile world um, This is more about asserting That uh, there is one leader because in the Roman world everyone has come to see Caesar as the ultimate leader uh, And the power of Rome and so here when he talks about lordship, it's about supremacy. Jesus is first He's most important which is in itself uh, going to cause problems for the Christians with the Romans because, uh, well, Caesars aren't going to like that they're supposed to be underneath God. Well, he starts here in the third verse, then he says, We ought always to thank God for you, uh, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. And... This is an important idea. What does spiritual maturity look like? I, I I have dealt with individuals over the last uh, forty years of ministry, and I've I have found some people who they have a real passion for knowledge and for learning, and uh, they consider themselves very much spiritually mature because of the amount of knowledge that they have that they have acquired of the faith and of scriptures and 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 they they are i mean they truly are they've memorized large passages they truly are knowledgeable of the scriptures but the thing that's been a struggle for them that that i've dealt with is that oftentimes there's a uh, a lack of love towards others and a lack of kindness towards others and this is what i find so interesting about paul's description of maturity is not just knowledge his His uh, definition of maturity here is it is faith that is growing we could consider that knowledge and it is love that is increasing and so loving uh, the ability to be more loving towards one another is the other sign of maturity and if we have knowledge but we don't have love it gains us nothing as Paul will tell us later on in another famous passage and so it has to be both. Uh, knowledge is important, but but the application of knowledge through love is also, also vitally important. And they were increasing uh, in their love for each other. This was a sign of their maturity. They were growing more and more. So therefore, Paul writes, among God's churches... Now this is interesting because he begins to see that the church... Uh, is global it's all over the place and he's writing now about the fact when he says churches here that God's churches are everywhere now and in, and indeed although in the Roman world they're just gaining a foothold uh, already we know they've gone on to Berea they've gone to Corinth they're they're making their way to these other places and starting churches there and Paul is very well that very aware that the church is also spreading uh, in Jerusalem and abroad and uh, and indeed we know that the other disciples uh, while they stay in jerusalem a lot in the beginning they do eventually embrace jesus message to go into the whole world and we have evidence of that from people like the thomas christians that that later on years later will be discovered uh, as having been evangelized by by uh, by thomas and and others as well. So we know that the disciples eventually are faithful to carry out the Great Commission and to go into all the world. Well, uh, the churches are already all over the world, and he says, among these churches, we boast about you. We boast about your perseverance and your faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So he is saying to other people who are not facing The hardships the Thessalonians are. Uh, Listen, look to the Thessalonians. Be encouraged by them. They are standing up under a horrible ordeal. You know, this is being recorded in the midst of a present moment in our world where uh, there is a horrible uh, battle being waged in the nation of Ukraine. And uh, many people are encouraged by the Ukrainian defense uh, against the offense that's been brought against them by their neighbor and so as we as we think about this uh, there's a sense in which people are kind of like they'd say well i'm encouraged by this group of people and it would hopefully encourage others that hey you can stand against great opposition too well that's what paul says about the thessalonians he says to these other people look to the thessalonians look at them they're an example they're standing up even though the persecution is great uh, they're not giving in and they're not giving up well Paul goes on to say about the Thessalonians, All this then is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Now, Paul's thoughts turn to the suffering of the Thessalonians here. And as they do, um, well, his frustration begins to show and his means of encouraging them is to point them again towards the day uh, when Christ returns and towards the time of of His judgment upon the earth, and so uh, this is a strong set of words and language, and what we're about to read is very strong, and um, it kind of will stand uh, well in, in opposition to a kinder, gentler, more intellectual kinds of faith. Uh, that is so often a part of the world today. And uh, preaching that is more social than than biblical. And, and teaching that is much more uh, uh, intellectual uh, than necessarily it is about, um, uh, well, than it is about practicality. And so because of that, uh, when we read these words of Paul, we, we're kind of struck by them. They seem harsh. They seem... Uh, they seem even a little bit overwhelming, and 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 we have to ask, well, why such a firm word here? Uh, but but I would just say this about about God's judgment. Uh, understand, these are facts that the Bible has established. That one, God doesn't really want anyone to perish, uh, but if you choose. To ignore his pathway of salvation, then really it is your own choice that has led you to this horrible place and not God's will. Uh, Second, uh, he does everything he can to try to intervene and keep us from punishment and from the the things that can happen. And uh, he even went so far, of course, as to send Jesus and he let Jesus endure that horrible punishment on the cross uh, so that we wouldn't have to endure it. And uh, he's frustrated with anyone who ignores that or rejects that, obviously, because he's tried to help, but people refuse his help. And none of us appreciate that much when we're trying to help someone and they refuse uh, to help us. And beyond that, uh, we see people that they don't just reject God's offer of help, but they actually become spiteful, hateful. They they turn on these Christians in a, in a horrible way, and they mistreat them, and they abuse them, and... And so Paul writes this next part, and it it sounds like a parent who's really angry with the circumstance. And he says, uh, God is just, and he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. He will give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day that he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. And this includes you because you believed our testimony to you. Well, this is hellfire preaching, right? This is pretty strong language. This is, is, uh, is one of those things that, that uh, many people would like to intellectualize away and say, well, it was metaphorical, not literal. But that doesn't sound metaphorical. Uh, Paul is describing judgment, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a horrific thing. And when he preaches this, I want you to gather something that I think is really important here. The neighbors of these Christians, they think that they are the, they are the ones who are putting someone else at risk, the Christians. They're making life hard for the Christians, not because they necessarily hate them. They're doing these horrible things to them because they're trying to make them come back to what they believe is the true way, worshiping idols, <laughs> ironically. And so it's just a horribly misguided group of people. And uh, they think that somehow by being cruel to others, they can draw them back on the right path. Which is a warning to all of us that if you see someone on the wrong path, being cruel to them is probably not the way that will bring them back. But that's what's happening to these Christians. That's the situation. But here's the reality that Paul wants them to see. and right? He wants to see them in a new way. He wants them to see that in fact uh, it is it is their non-christian parents and their friends uh former friends and and their uh, their neighbors they are the ones who are actually at risk Um, and i think that paul says this in part so that these christians would not become so bitter that they would give up on these other people and just say well uh, to heck with you quite literally Um, he wants them to understand that they are in real danger and if you love your parents, even though they aren't Christians yet, if you love your brothers and sisters, even though they might not be Christians yet, you, you're you not going to give up on them. You're going to keep reaching out to them because you do not want them uh, to receive this punishment. And, uh, of course, Jesus understood this. Uh, and, and this is why when Jesus is on the cross and they're nailing him to the cross, he knows that God's anger is just boiling up. But Jesus says the prayer, right? Father, forgive them. Uh, for they really don't know what they're doing and he shows us the perfect example of of how to be um, gracious even in the midst of persecution well um, the other encouragement of course is that when it comes then to the, end of the time they're going to be found uh, to be in christ and that's going to make all the difference so with this in mind verse 11 with this in mind we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's a powerful, a powerful first chapter, and and paul has gotten into some things that are pretty uh well they're pretty tough and he's starting to talk about the day of judgment in a time where god kind of does uh he kind of does have to have that moment right where he decides which sheep are his and uh and which ones are not sadly and um well i don't wish that destruction on anyone and i hope you don't either um, I acknowledge that Jesus spoke about this often and that it's repeated throughout these uh, epistles and letters and to me the evidence that there is a real place of punishment is is overwhelming and, uh, and I think that space really isn't meant for God's creation It's meant for the devil and his angels but uh, sadly those that um, those that refuse the gift of God, put themselves in a horrible peril, and uh, they are in danger of that kind of punishment. But be encouraged. Uh, we have one who saves us from that and wants to save the world from that punishment. And uh, that, of course, is indeed our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, today's uh, chapter and lesson. It's, it's a hard lesson, uh, but it's also an encouraging one. And Paul certainly wants them to see uh, that their their sufferings today yield something good in the future, and he wants them to see uh, that even though they're feeling like they're the ones at risk, it's actually their their neighbors and their former family uh, that are most at risk right now. And uh, he will encourage them, of course, to be busy. Right? One of the problems was people were checking out uh, and just waiting for the return of the Lord and and man, if that was your circumstance, he's already starting to build the case here that you have work to do. You, you better make sure that you're doing everything you can to help uh, lead your, your parents and your brother and your sister and your former neighbor to Jesus. And that's a good word for us today. Um, the time, well, it's getting closer, isn't it? And um, the things that Paul said and Jesus said are true. And if they are true and we believe they are, then uh, we have all the reason in the world to be about our father's business and working hard uh, for Jesus. Thank you for, for uh, tuning in and watching. I look forward to having you back next week as we uh, get one more real big glimpse of things to come. And uh, I hope that you are beginning to see things through a new lens, a, a wider lens, a lens of faith, a lens of scripture, and uh, that this series has been encouraging to you. God bless.